0: My name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, There are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.RestoredTemecula.Church, and then click on Contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores. And through that app, you can see past uh, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, So with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, that might be the quickest we've ever got quiet during the five minute break in the history of this church. And you guys are ready, just, just ready for the word of God. I love it. Just passionate. It's like yes. Hey, I love what Herrick said. Uh, just honoring uh, moms really quickly. Happy Mother's Day. The whole thing. But like, God has created every single woman in the room with, I would argue, a, a heavenly ability to mother. It's not limited to biology, although we honor biological mothers and the sacrifices and the love, but like every woman in the room, we want to honor you. Like there's a, there's a reality biblically, there's a reality to spiritual mothering and the impact that that has on people. And so just please, please hear me like, regardless of where you're at in life, like honor you women in the room. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. Um, Okay, so this morning we're going to be uh, continuing on in our series we've titled Priesthood. And the, the kind of theme behind this is all about restoring our identity as priests, as a collective of priests. And when I say restoring our identity, is that uh, what a priest is, is it's a person who's, whose life is oriented around ministering to God, it's a life oriented around blessing God, it's a right life oriented around ascribing ultimate worth to God. That's what worship is. And it's not just something that we do as disciples of Jesus. It's not just something that we do as Christians. It's part of who we are. Because there's all sorts of things that we could orient our life around. There's all sorts of like things that we could make priorities in our life. But when we talk about this idea of priesthood, that part of who we are is a collective of people whose life is oriented around ascribing God worth, around blessing him and ministering to him, not to get something from him, but just because he's worthy, all right? And we've been in this kind of phase of this series. We've been camping out in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Uh, I want to read this to you. You can just to put, put it, well, you guys put it up there for me. This is to refresh your memory. We've been camping out here for, dude, months now, and we could camp out here longer. We're going to go until the Lord tells us otherwise, but I want to read this to you. Because this is going to kind of help frame our morning. This is the Apostle Paul's uh, plan for discipleship, if you will. Plan for spiritual formation, right? Becoming more like Jesus, he says. And we all, corporate, plural, we all, with unveiled face, beholding. Everybody say behold. Beholding, beholding what? Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And basically, it's this idea that we, this isn't new for most of you, but we become like what we behold. We become like that with which we give our attention to. And this isn't just like a Christian concept. This is, this is arguably a secular concept as well. That's why this, so much money has been dumped into advertising every single year, because smart business owners know that you will become like what you behold. The principle's true, not just in the church, but outside of the church. And so far, we've t- talked about this idea of you become like what you behold. And we're, we want to become like Jesus so we want to orient our lives around as priests around beholding Jesus in every area and every facet of life. So far we've talked about beholding God in scripture throughout this series. We've talked about beholding God in our failures, right? That when we blow it and we actually instead of like giving ourselves over to shame and guilt, we actually give our attention beholding God for who he is as as the forgiver. As, as the redeemer, as the restorer, and that actually has an effect on us, right? Beholding God in scripture, beholding God in our failures, beholding God through humility, we've talked about that. We talked about um, beholding God in the storms of life, that, that when we experience fear, when we experience opposition, that we have the opportunity to behold God. What is he like? Who is he? In those spaces, and that can affect the way we live. The disciple of Jesus, my friend, is a person who is ever beholding God. In other words, you just don't ever take your eyes off of him. In everything that you do, it doesn't mean that you stop doing all the things that you do. It means that in the midst of those things, we're priests who are consistently living a life oriented around beholding him in his glory. All right, so today... uh, This is going to be an interesting morning because I want to talk about something that is a, I feel like God's been working on with me personally for a while now, okay? I'm going to be talking to you today, not as an expert by any means in what I'm going to talk about, but as someone who's like very much in process with this one. I feel like God wants to mature me. I feel like he wants to strengthen me. I feel like he wants to grow me. I have a lot of areas in my life I need to grow. And I know that you're the same as me. All right, we're all in process. Today, I want to talk about beholding God in your work. All right, Beholding God in your work. So go ahead and grab your Bible. If you have one, you can flip it open to the very first page, Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. The crew's going to put the words up here on the screen for us. Thank you, guys. Marshall, on it. Thanks, bro. Um, before I read the scripture this morning, I just want to pray. And so I'd love it if you'd pray with me. Holy Spirit, we just invite more of Your rule and reign in our mind right now. I ask You to uh, minimize distractions this morning, so that we can we can hear clearly from You. I really believe there's something profound here for all of us, not just for me. I know this is like deep work that You want to do in me, and I just humbly ask You, Lord. Don't just make me a man who like presents information. I want, I want the reality of who you are and what you've invited me into and how you've created me. Like, and not just me, but us. I, I want to become who you've made me to be. And so would you let the truth of your word like, like actually take up residence inside of me? I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters in the room. I pray the same thing for them, that the truth of your word would inhabit them. And it wouldn't just be a concept that we can go like, oh, okay, I could see how that makes sense, but it would be something. It would be truth that we yield to. And the result of that would be just a ton of kingdom fruit. So have your way this morning amongst us, Lord. Encourage us, free us from some bondage in our life, and make us more like Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, underline image, if you have a pen, according to our likeness. So really quickly, let us, Trinity, plural, God is three, you know, three persons, one God. Let us make man in our image. Let let us make man kind of like us. They will rule, underline rule. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female, okay? You and I were created in the image of God. Verse 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Underline, subdue it. There's that that word again, rule. Rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, verse 31, God saw all that he has made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. So this is just describing the sixth day of creation. Okay, let's keep going on. Now we're gonna be in chapter two, verse one. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work. Underline that, completed his work. That he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. God's working here, right? Or he's resting after his work. Verse three God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Verse four. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and get this, and there was no man to, what? Work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden as well as as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, Jump down to verse 15 in chapter two. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay. A lot of scripture coming at you, okay? The big idea is this. What I want to kind of communicate. Why did God place mankind on the earth in the garden? Verse 15 tells us. This is the purpose of mankind. It says to work it and watch over it. When it says to work it, it's not talking about like intense dancing, okay? It's talking about work. Thank, thank you. That was a great dad joke. For those of you that laughed... Thank you, appreciate it. No, but for real, like to work the land and and to watch over it. In other words, to work and to rule on God's behalf, right? We're made in his image to reflect what he's like to the rest of his creation. So hear me, this is part of what it means that they were made in God's image, right? I'm gonna talk more about this idea of uh, being made in God's image and how this relates to beholding and priesthood and stuff next week. But I want you to see something, God works and God rules, right? And he created mankind to do the same thing. And as they do that, they reflect his image. They reflect what he's like to the rest of creation, okay? Hear me. Work is an important part of what it means to be a human being. Um... That begs the question, what then is work? Um, I think oftentimes when we hear the word work, we think, instantly we think like vocation, right? So what I do for money, what I do for a job, what gives me a paycheck. If you're a student, like, what, do I'm gonna, what am I going to be when I grow up? Like, we think of vocation when we think of work, and, and that's fine, that's good, right? But, but not all work is limited to vocation. However, your vocation, it, it's, it, it involves work, right? Let me give you a, a, a definition of work, okay? This is what I'm going to work off of. Uh, pardon how many times I'm using the word work. Work. Any activity, any activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or a result. Any activity mentally physically, that's done in order to produce a result, right? To achieve a purpose. So it's like, let's contextualize this for a second. Like, what is that? how does that mean for you and for me, for those of us in this room? Everything that you do at your job, your vocation, your career, that, that's work. The phone calls, the emails, the meetings, right? The labor, what you do with your hands, the problem solving, everything that you do at your job is work. Those of you, I'm confident everybody in the room, you're part of a household, right? Everything that goes on in your household, everything involved with the management of your household, right? The cleaning and the cooking and the laundry and mowing the lawn and all the thing, that's work. It's it's physical and mental, right? Effort to achieve a purpose. Uh, This is Mother's Day. You moms in the room, you dads in the room. Raising and parenting children. (laughs) You don't need me to tell you this. That takes a lot of mental effort and physical effort, does it not? Destiny's giving me the like yes (laughs) as she holds her newborn. Any activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. So Just turn on your thinking caps for a second and get personal with yourself. What are all the ways that you work in life? Start to list them. There's probably hundreds. Think of all the things that you do for work, not just vocationally. That can be part of it, yes, but it's not exclusively that. Begin to make a list in your mind. Go ahead. Listen. The first thing that I, that kind of my first point that I want to talk about for just a second is the reality that work is good. Uh, pastorally, I've watched how fairly recently there's been a resurgence in helpful, healthy, God-honoring biblical teaching on rest. I think our culture is like allergic to rest. I think we don't know how to do it. Um, but there's been this beautiful resurgence of like the, pra- the, the biblical practice of Sabbath, Right? Like, Sabbath is not just a biblical practice. It's like a commandment. God says, do this. Don't forsake this, right? It's an important thing. But one of the byproducts that I've kind of seen happen in in, in sort of like the resurgence of a a helpful biblical teaching on rest is sort of like the the damning of work. And and we're, we're people that are in the middle, right? The radical middle, like, no, 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 yeah, we're absolutely called to rest. God rested, but we were created for work too, and so I don't wanna like, I want us to be careful. The enemy's very cunning. I don't, I don't want us to redefine work as though it's a negative thing in the process of us wanting to be people who actually don't forsake rest, okay? Work is good, it's part of what it means to be human. Hear me, it's part of your purpose. It's part of your purpose. How do I know that? It's a good thing, we know that it's good, we know that's your purpose, because we just read about it in Genesis chapter one, and Genesis chapter two. Keep something in mind. That's before sin, sin entered the world. So, before everything got jacked up and distorted and divided and broken and, me, and messed up, and before all of that, we were, we were created to work. Work's a good thing. It's pre fall, right? We read it in verse 15. God created mankind to work and to rule on God's behalf. Work is good. According to God, it's very good. Very good. Um, The next thing I want to talk about is this biblical concept that work is more than just a good thing. Worship is a, all right, so work is a worship thing. Work is, it's a worship thing. Again, that definition, activity, any activity done in order to achieve a purpose or a result. Hear me, that means that work is a means to an end. It means, it means that work is always done for a reason, Is it not? You're trying to get something. The question is, what is the reason? And I feel like so oftentimes we just kind of fly through life and we don't actually take the spiritual pulse. What's the reason that I'm working? Not just vocation, all the things. What's the reason? Why am I working? in our culture, I think the number, one, the number one reason that we work is for what, what do you think? Yeah, money, money. Which isn't in and of itself a bad thing. Can we just be real? Like the love of money is really dangerous, right? But money itself is not a bad thing. But most people, they're, they're working because they, they need to get money. Why? We need to get money so that we can execute our will so that we can acquire desires. Now hear me, our will at times isn't bad. It can be. Our desires at times aren't bad. They can be. Uh, Parents in the room. I don't know any parent in the room who engages in the work of parenting that doesn't deeply desire their kid to live a good life for their kid to thrive, for their kid to have every opportunity to, to become the, the man or the woman that God created them to be, right? I don't know, any parent who isn't engaging in the work of parenting their child that doesn't want to see their child like develop in a really healthy way, that's, a real, again, a really good, good thing. The reason I'm using these two examples is I just want us to see that we work in order to get something that we want. We work in order to get something that we desire. Uh, My first real job, I've told this a billion times. My first real job, uh, Brandon and Jill hired me at a pizza restaurant when I was like, I was a senior in high school and I worked there for a few years. And this week, uh, they sent me some photos that they found from that season of life. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, okay, so check this out. This is me. Okay, just to be clear, that is a Bud Light can, okay? That is not Bud Light in that. I'm just going to say it, okay? Although in that season of life, I was not making the wisest choices. Now, I'm probably, this is circa 2004, 2005 maybe, 2004. Um, so I'm, I'm right out of high school, right? I'm a teenager still. This is after work. We just, pizza, right? You take the pizza home, you eat it, uh, you can go to the next one, guys. OK, so check this out. This is in the pizza restaurant. Uh, this had to be like an after work hang or something. Uh, you can see me playing guitar with some friends. Uh, this was a really unique season of life for me, because it was kind of my first job. I'm still trying to feel out what it looks like to work for someone who isn't like my mom or my dad giving me chores or whatever. But uh, all right, you guys can take it down. It's getting old for me real quick. Uh, <laughs> So I, Brandon and Jill were so patient with me. They were like very kind to me. Uh, I remember, I'm going to put you on blast right now. B. I remember like maybe like second or third shift. And I, I, we don't really know each other very well. And I'm like, and I did all the different things. I learned how to make the pizza. I learned how to cut the pizza. I, learned how, I delivered pizza. I did all the things. And I remember Brandon being like walking up to me like, hey, did you, did you mop underneath the makeup table? And I was like, no. And he was like you need to mop underneath the makeup table. It never occurred to me like, oh, you need to mop underneath the table too, not just around it. Sorry, I just had a flashback of being scolded by Brandon. Uh, But listen, the reason why I took that job was because I wanted money. Not a bad thing. The reason why I wanted money was because you can kind of see it in the photo. Like my, My life revolved around my music in that season of life. The different projects that I was involved in, the different ways that I was pursuing sort of like, I wouldn't have called it a career in music, but I was just like, that was what my life was oriented around in so many different ways. And so, I, I took the job because I needed money because I wanted to buy gear. I, the, those of you musicians in the, in the room, you, you guys have gas as well. Gas is gear acquisition <laughs> syndrome. It's a very real thing for musicians. <laughs> it's a sickness. It's, it's, it's a sickness. Uh, Friends, we work to get something that we want. Here's the problem. What happens when we work and we don't get what we want? What happens when we don't make enough money to execute our will? Even if we work really, really hard, right? Let's use it with raising kids. What happens when we work really, really hard at raising our kids and our kids don't actually do what we want them to do? Like I think about just different, the uh, the picture would be maybe this. There's farmers in the room. I love it. What happens when the farmer works really, really hard and it comes harvest time and that harvest is just lousy? Or in your job, I mean, you are busting your tail, okay? And your jerk coworker gets the promotion instead of you because he gets along better with so-and-so politically. What happens? What happens when we work really, really hard and we don't get the results that we want, the results that we're after, the results that we desire? I don't know about you, I get frustrated, I can start to get a little bit angry. Maybe even kind of give over to some temptation to grow bitter in my heart a little bit. What about this one? Now I start to develop some anxiety. I'm starting to feel way less secure than I did five minutes ago. Friends, what if our purpose for work isn't the same as God's purpose for work? What if they're different? I'd like to propose to you that they are. I'd like to propose to you that we've actually gotten it wrong. I'd like to propose to you that we've been approaching work incorrectly. You see, I stopped reading in Genesis before Genesis 3. Genesis 3, sin enters the world and it jacks everything up. You don't need me to tell you this. Things are broken. They're not the way they're supposed to be, okay? Sin has distorted the purpose for work. The thing that God created, the part of the purpose of what it means for you and I to be humans, that God created this thing that was very good, and sin comes in, and it's distorted God's purpose for work. And as a result of that, now we work to acquire things, right? Now we work for the outcome. Now we work for the fruit. Now we work for the stuff. Now we work for wealth. Now we work for power. Now we work for significance. Like, And guys, I I know this is like every human being, okay? But like, you you ever be giving yourself over to any form of work, whether it's vocational or not, and you're like, I'm actually pretty good at this. Other people are noticing that I'm pretty good at this. That feels real nice, does it? It makes me feel fairly significant. Today's Mother's Day. I'm looking around and there's some incredible moms in the room, and when I say incredible moms, I don't mean like like, the like perfection thing, like the false perfection. I mean like you guys are really intentional, thoughtful, humble, wonderful to your children. But like, there's that like good mom thing, like, My significance rests on how good of a mom or not good of a mom I am. Dad, same thing's true of you. It's not just a mom thing, it's just Mother's Day. Next thing you know, your work, it begins to like validate you. Not just to others, but to yourself. Right? Sin's distorted the purpose of work. Now we work to acquire, not just significance, Now we work to acquire identity and meaning. Hear me, that's not the purpose. That's not God's purpose of work. And when we work really hard and we don't get what we want, we don't get the fruit, we don't get the outcome, we don't get the stuff, the wealth, the power, the significance, the identity, the meaning that we want, when we don't get that, We react in really unhealthy ways. I know I'm not the only one. Friends, work is worship. We do it because of of deep desires within us. And guys, this is the thing that pastorally drives me crazy about myself and crazy about you. I let myself in with you because we're all the same in this. So often we don't realize what it is that we're actually worshiping what it is that we're actually ascribing ultimate worth to. And here's what's crazy about us. It shifts and moves in every moment of the day. You ever be like me where you're like, dude, I just feel so much gratitude for the Lord and his kindness. My life is oriented around bringing him pleasure. And then I hear my kids arguing in the room, stop it. And you're like, what just happened to me? It moves and it's fluid and it, We don't realize what it is that we're worshiping. But our work, it reveals what it is that we worship in those moments. What it is that we ascribe ultimate worth to. What it is that we desire to acquire. Can I ask you a pastoral question? Why do you do the work that you do? And again, I'm not just talking about vocation. Getting a paycheck is not part of this equation. Why do you do why? Why do you do it? And I'm not saying that to shame anybody in the room. This is not a place of guilt or shame. Okay, we're gospel people. Okay? I have no doubt in my mind that the reason that you do the work that you do, so many of the reasons is are wonderful, beautiful, incredible reasons. Um, St. Augustine, he's one of the most influential Christians ever. He, I love the language that he uses in regards to this kind of an idea. He used the language of rightly ordered loves. Let me read you a quote that he wrote 1,600 years ago. You guys have that? Great. Augustine says this quote, living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things. To love things, that is to say in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved or have a greater love for what should be loved less or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more or a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. Rightly ordered loves. I know that's a lot of words, but I'm gonna break it down. Okay, let me give you an example. First year of my marriage. It it was a learning experience, okay? Um, (laughs) I'm gonna use like uh, intense language, but I think it's somewhat fair. I think I was addicted to fantasy football, okay? And it hit me, like a year in marriage, I'm like spend guys, I would prep for the fantasy football draft like six months in advance, and I got my laptop out and I had my spreadsheets and da-da-da-da-da. was like just, yeah, intensely competitive with old friends. Fantasy football is not bad. What's not so good about that was that I was spending more time on fantasy football than I was, I was giving more attention to fantasy football than I was my new wife. I'm not here to throw shade at fantasy football. It's not a bad thing. I'm here to throw shade on, not, on disordered loves. Having your loves be in, in, in right order. You tracking with me? Okay. When loves are not in the right order, things can get unhealthy real quick. Now, the next thing that is important to note out of the scriptures is that work is primarily for God. Hear me. Is your work for you? Let me hear you. Yes. Yes, your work is for your benefit. Absolutely. It's for your benefit. 110%. That's good. Please don't misunderstand. Your work is for you. That is good. It's for your benefit. Is your work for others? Come on, talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. That's good. I would hope that every most, if not every act of work in your in your life is somehow benefiting other people. That's beautiful. I mean, we're Christians, right? We're called to not have our lives centered around just us, right? However, work is worship. Work is worship. That means that for the Christian, work is primarily for who? For him for him. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, if you think this is just my opinion of like, ah, come on, Tom, like you're getting weird. Matthew chapter 22, uh, starting in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that he, the he, there's Jesus. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus is so brilliant. Verse 37, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the what? Greatest and most important command. Verse 39, he's not done. The second is like it. Love your neighbor, others, as yourself, you. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Friends, are you called to love yourself? Yeah! Are you called to love others? Yes! Those are secondary, according to Jesus. They're not bad. They're just not primary. It's all about rightly ordered loves. Being the human, the man or the woman that God has created each one of us to be, It involves rightly ordered loves. Hear me, work is for your benefit and for the benefit of others, but it's primarily for him. Because guys, listen, if God is not at the center of your work, do you know what that means? It means something else is. Guys, what, what Christianity is is it's a life unto God. Not like parts of our lives. Not like Sunday mornings and not through, a whole life. Christianity is a whole life unto Him. Uh, Romans eleven thirty six 36, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Like, if you want to do like some like just beautiful meditation on the, the scriptures this week, just, just stay in Romans eleven thirty six. 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. For the disciple of Jesus, work is primarily for God. But what does that mean? Does that mean, like, Tom, are you telling me that I need to, like, quit my job and be a pastor, bro? Like, what's this? No please God know, okay? Here's what it means. Worshiping God in your work, it means focusing on your operation instead of the outcome. Operation over the outcome. Operation over the outcome, okay? Here's what I mean by that. When you focus on how you're operating in your work, what are you doing? If, if, you're, if you're living the way of Jesus, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're engaging your mind and your body in the ways that Jesus would if he was you, do you realize what you're doing? You are a living, breathing example of the kingdom of God, of God getting his way, his ways, right? His rule, his reign. So when you're focused on operating, I'm the, again, the cliche, what would Jesus do if he was you? If, if that's your mindset, In every act of work that you do, your focus is on the operation. And the result of that is that your agenda is God getting his way. But if your focus is on the outcome of things, if your focus is on the the fruit, if your focus is on what you get, on the stuff, if your focus is on the outcome, it's me getting my way. Now, hear me. Sometimes that can work out all right. And sometimes it's a disaster because it's working to acquire. It's a fallen view of work. Work is worship. And if God's not at the center, then something else is. And our culture's really cunning. It's really deceptive into tempting us to operate in idolatry and we don't even know it. Can I, can I give you some examples from my own life? I'll give you one from my own life, just with kids, okay? When I'm parenting my kids and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, my focus is on how I operate, oh, it's so different, guys. Like, Okay, let's, let's do a scenario. I know this would never happen in your households, but in mine, like a kid disobeys, okay? They, they don't do what daddy is asking them to do, right? They, they disobey. Hear me. If my focus is on the outcome, dude, I'm failing because my kids disobey. But if my focus is on the operation, what am I doing? I'm demonstrating as as a physical being, I'm manifesting the rule and reign of God to them. And I'm trusting God with the outcome. I don't know if you know, it's faith is trust. That's what it is. It's trust in him. But when I'm focused on the outcome, I'm gonna get real frustrated real quick. And there's a difference between like righteous anger, you know, when when, when injustice is taking place, we ought to have a response (laughs) to that that is like, this is wrong. But you know the difference, just like me. When my heart slips into frustration, from frustration, like righteous anger, into, now I'm not really operating in the way of Jesus and I'm justifying it because of how this person's triggering my emotion. You tracking with me? Or am I the only person in the room? Me and Lisa, cool. All you holy people. You get really, really frustrated. Next thing you know, parenting becomes something less than healthy, if you know what I mean. Something less than what God designed for it to be. God is what? He's Father, Right? So am I. And part of my role as father is to reflect, to be an image bearer of what he's like. What about with your job? Hypothetical situation, I'm, uh, like you're working on a project and it just goes south. And you've been working on this project. It's not like you're mailing it in, like you're working and it goes south. And, and and now you and your company have the potential to lose a bunch of money. And you do, you're, what do you do? Like, now you're starting to feel anxious. And now you're like, dude, I got a performance review coming up. Like, is my job going to be at risk? Next thing you know, you feel way less secure than you did before. And now the temptation is to make compromises, right? To maybe you start to play the political office game where you don't, like, throw a, a, a coworker under the bus, but you're like you're going to kind of subtly like, yeah, if, you know, trying to find a person's name that's not in the room is a hypothetical thing, it's not working for me. So and so, yeah, if they just, would just stop showing up late. Maybe we would be, those like subtle, like they, I know you would never do anything like that, but the temptation can be there, can it not? But if every opportunity that you face in your work is one for you to operate in the way of Jesus instead of controlling the outcome. You know what, you're free. You're free. So friends, don't believe the lie, please. You cannot control the outcome. You can influence it. I'm not saying you can't. You cannot control the outcomes. Look around you. You cannot control the outcomes but, oh, ho, 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 you can control how you operate. And that's what God calls us to. Isn't that what he cares about? You know, Jesus never said, the ends justify the means, get it done. You know what he did say? He goes, if you love me, obey my commands. Operation over outcome. And let me give you one passage to back this up so that you don't think it's just my opinion. 1 Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse five. This is Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth. He goes, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? These are different gifts that were in operation in the church. They are servants through whom you believed and each has the role, that's associated with work, the Lord has given. I planted work. Apollos watered work. But who gave the growth? God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God gives the growth. Friends, the Christian focuses on how they operate and they trust God with the outcome. Because He's trustworthy. Do you know what this requires? If you're gonna operate like this, if you're gonna if you're gonna treat work as worship, do you know what this requires? it requires beholding him in your work it requires looking at him who is he what's he done what's he like it's my kind of final point here beholding god in our work it means seeing him rightly seeing him accurately seeing him for who he truly is let's start with this one he's creator and he's lord he's creator and he's lord friend who determines your purpose Your creator and your Lord, man. Who determines your significance? The creator and the Lord, right? Who determines your identity, like who you really are at the core of your essence? Who determines that? Your creator, the one who actually like made you. Your creator and your Lord. Who determines your meaning? It all comes from who? From him, absolutely. So hear me. That means that the Christian doesn't work for these things. The Christian works from these things. You already have these things in Christ. You only don't operate this way when you believe the lie that you don't. Do you understand what I'm saying? Beholding God means seeing him rightly. Beholding God in our work means seeing him as creator and Lord. And how about this one? It means... Seeing him as father. And not a father who's holding out on you. Not a father who's looking to harm you. But a father who cares for you and your needs. Will you guys throw up Matthew chapter six? I'm not gonna read the whole thing because I'm running out of time. But basically, this is this famous passage where Jesus is like, hey, why are you you worried? He goes, "Your, your heavenly father, he... He clothes the flowers. He he feeds the birds. Aren't you of more worth to your heavenly father than they are? And this is what he says. Go to the last verse, verse 33. He says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. In other words, focus on how you operate And trust your heavenly father with the outcome because he loves you. Are you seeing this? This is freedom, friends. The, The way that we live, the way that we approach work, the way that our culture approach work, it's bondage. I would argue it's demonic. Focus on how you operate and trust your heavenly father for the outcome. Okay, I'm gonna close with this. I wanna call the band up. You guys doing okay? Awesome. Thanks, Scotty. So, can we, just take, can we just take some internal, so check our vital signs for just a second. Are you able to identify why you work? Like the work that you do, why do you do it? And not just vocationally, that list of 100 things that you made in your mind earlier. All the things, any activity... Where your your mental capacities, your physical capacities are engaged to produce a result. Why do you work? What's motivating you? Is your desire ever to achieve a certain outcome? Or is it to operate the way that God created you to operate? There's freedom, friend. If you and I approach work in that way, the way God's purpose for work is it's just another opportunity, no matter what comes your way, it's just another opportunity for you to operate the way he created you to because he is so unbelievably trustworthy with the outcomes because he's your creator and, he, and your Lord, so he's the authority and associated with that authority, he's your father who loves you, who knows your needs better than you do. And his desire for you is for you to experience his love in tangible ways. And I'd be remiss if I didn't just like preach the gospel for a minute. The incredible good news of who God is in Christ. Can we just never be people who move on from the gospel? Please? The incredible news, like, beholding God in our work, seeing him rightly as creator and Lord, That creator and Lord, like that creator and Lord, the only one who's really worthy of our worship becomes a man. He puts on flesh. Why? He got to work, to live the perfect life that you and I could never live, that we don't live, right? Tirelessly working on our behalf. And then he goes to the cross where he dies the brutal death that you and I deserve for the ways that we resist him, reject him, put on the Lord crap, if you will, like the ways that we sin against people he loves. I love the way that Jesus models operation over outcome. Last night of his life, he knows what's coming for him in the morning. He knows he's going to be brutally executed. And he goes, God, Father, if there's any other way. But then what does he say? He goes, but not my will, but yours be done. In other words, Father, my aim is how I operate and I'm trusting the outcome to you. the only one worthy of your worship, served you. Working on your behalf. And he hasn't stopped. He won't stop. We sing that song, uh, way maker, how's the bridge go? You never stop, you never stop working. He's working even now on your behalf. He's working to deliver you from living a distorted life where, we, where, we, where we, we, we ascribe a purpose to work that he never desired for it to be, a life of disordered loves to a life of rightly ordered loves. So the question I have for us, kind of the vision, let's, let's zoom out as we close here. What would life look like if your work wasn't done to acquire? If you didn't approach work as a means to an end, as a, as a means to acquiring things, and maybe they're, not me- maybe they're not material things. That's, that, that's not necessarily the case. What would your life look like if the purpose for work wasn't to control an outcome, wasn't to acquire your desires? What if your work was just another opportunity for you to worship? Like, you ever thought about what the ripple effects of that would be? What would be the result of that, right? Here's what would happen the whole earth would be filled with his glory. Remember we talked about being image bearers of God? When your focus is on how you operate instead of controlling an outcome, do you realize what you're doing? You're operating the way that God would. You're reflecting, you're living as an image bearer. You're reflecting what God is like to the world around you. Imagine if everybody did that. The whole earth filled with his glory. Friends, please don't underestimate the dignity of even the simplest work that you give yourself over to. Let me pray for us. Will you stand if you're able?